0: things I learned about my own lifetime of stuff when I participated in a five-day archaeological dig. I am probably going to make that a little shorter for what I write out, but that's basically what I'm talking about today. Um, Before I do that, though, I want to make sure you know about this week's show sponsor, who is PrepDish. I love PrepDish. I have loved every single recipe that I have made of theirs. My family has loved all the recipes that we have made that came with our Prep, Dis- Prep Dish subscription. Here's how Prep Dish works it is a subscription based healthy meal planning service. So you pay a monthly fee, and every Friday you get a PDF download. I like to open it on my phone so that it immediately goes into iBooks. You can also have it, um, go into your Kindle app so that it's just there and you don't have to be on internet while you're using it in the store. Um, that's what I used to do now. Honestly, I just type the stuff that we don't have that's on the list into my, um, Walmart grocery pickup app. Okay. So what I do and they also have like a, a list in there that can easily go into what's the one where the people shop for you. Anyway, it's, it's already easy and super easy for you if you're able to use that where you live. Um, but so what you do is you get this PDF, you have a shopping list for the week, you have a prep plan, meaning a detailed instructions telling you how to get ready get all these meals prepped, all your sauces made, things marinated, everything that can be chopped is chopped um, and ready to go in one to three hours of prep time so that throughout the week, you use the instructions to actually getting the meal on the table. So you're putting everything together, all of the stuff that's time consuming, you're doing it one time using their plan. And this means that your likelihood of eating healthy meals goes up a huge crazy amount, okay? Because all of the prep work is already done. It's easy and simple and quick to get meals on the table throughout the week. If you would like to try out this service, Allison, the founder, is offering listeners of Aslob Comes Clean a free two-week trial. Go to prepdish.com slash a comes clean to get the code and sign up for your two week trial so that you can try it out and see if it's something that works well for your family. Prepdish.com slash a slob comes clean is where you go. Okay. So I am talking about, um, what I learned about my own lifetime of stuff from five days at an archeological dig. So last summer, my parents for their 50th wedding anniversary took my family and my brother's family on an archeological dig because that's what my parents are like. If you know them, you know this, okay? They're not the type to go on a cruise. They are the type to take their grandkids on an archeological dig, um, to have this amazing experience. So right before we left, I had finished writing decluttering at the speed of life. Decluttering at the speed of life is my new book that has been out for a, almost two weeks now. And it is the guide to getting your house under control. Okay. To getting the clutter out of your house, to changing your mindsets, to working through all of your own clutter. Anyway, so I had finished writing the manuscript and had turned it in back in June. And we left within a week to go on this trip. And so I had decluttering on my mind. And let me just kind of give you a general overall of how an archeological dig works. Um, so you can volunteer to participate in one there are many that are um like done through colleges you know through universities and a lot of times they will have their students be the ones working there but you can look it up and there are ways to volunteer at an archaeological dig um and it it's really and Interesting experience, a neat experience. You know, so many people that I talk to say, Oh, I always always wanted to be an archaeologist. And um, I will tell you that after a week of doing this, none of my three kids want to be an archaeologist. They all pretty much determined that was not the life for them. Um, But I found it very, very interesting. So, what you're doing as a volunteer is the grunt work. Okay. You're not doing any of the dramatic, fancy stuff, which is nowhere near as dramatic in the movies as in the movies anyway. But You have, um, they have squares. Okay. So the whole site is divided up into squares. They're very precisely divided up so that we know exactly what's happening and we can measure and find out how far down something was that you run across. Um, and then you have a square supervisor who's an actual archeologist. And then you have their kind of their apprentice who is under them. Who's also there just directing everything that you do and you're doing, the actual scraping. I mean they scrape too, but you're doing the scraping. So what we would have is a trowel, which you know they use in masonry, I think. Um we had a trowel and we would scrape across, scrape the the dirt into a dustpan, and then the dustpan would go into a goopta, which my kids always say that I say that wrong. But anyway, it's this basically a basket bucket kind of a thing. Um, scoop that in there, that gets then sifted. And then our site also did a wet sifting process. Okay, so then everything that comes out of there goes through a wet sifting process. Um, So that's the basic process. And we're the ones doing that grunt work. um, And basically moving dirt is what we were doing for five whole days of getting up and having to be on the bus at 5 a.m. Um, but it was actually I I thoroughly enjoyed it. But because it's so much just kind of physical work, I had a lot of time to think. And let's just be honest, archaeology, finding stuff, kind of has a lot of relationship with clutter, wouldn't you say? Um, at least I feel like it does, because so many times when I hold on to something or when something is hard to get rid of, I think this is something worth. Keeping this has some sort of long term value, especially sentimental items, and so then coming along and digging out things that have lasted thousands of years. Y'all, there was a point my daughter found an intact pot, which was super duper exciting. And everybody was like, it was one of those yee we found something really exciting. Anyway, this intact pot. So we're taking pictures and we're so excited. and um, we couldn't share the pictures cause there's all these, you know, whatever, but uh, rules and things. Um, but The next day, I asked our archaeologist that was our square supervisor, I said, Hey, how old was that pod? I just didn't even think to ask you. She's like, Oh, it's from the (laughs) period, whatever, which means nothing to me. I said, Can you translate that into normal people um, speak? And she said, Yeah, it's like um, 4,000 years old. 4,000 years old. 4,000 years, you guys. Okay, so we're talking something that gets found. dug up and people 4,000 years later are thrilled about. So I would say, you know, there's some relationship there between what of my stuff actually has lasting value and, um, you know, things that actually have lasting value um, over all this time. So anyway, I'm just going to go through some of the terms and the process, just some of the things that I could see a total relationship with my own lifetime of stuff and how it helped me kind of look at my own stuff differently. Um, Just to clarify, I am not an archaeologist and this is just what I picked up listening and working with archaeologists. So I'm sure I'm going to say some stuff that a real archaeologist would be like, Oh, that's not really the what it means. I know this is just my own personal what I picked up from it. I also learned that archaeologists can be a little um, competitive with one another (laughs) and opinionated. Anyway, it was very fun hanging out with those people. But these are just my own observations and how I applied it to my own clutter. So the process that you're consistently told and reminded is that your goal is to drain the bathtub. And what that means is as you dig down, like the first week that they started, I think we were there on the 5th week of the dig. Um but the first week that they started, they started at ground level. Like it was just normal ground like you're walking around on. And they start digging down and they would see because of different factors, which I don't really know what they are. They would see when we would get to a different time period as we went on down. So the goal is never to just dig, 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 dig down, 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 down. Okay. You have this whole plot laid out. I don't know how big it was. Maybe 10 by 10, 10 by 20. I'm not sure feet um, or cubits or whatever. Anyway, as we did that, Um, The goal is to go down evenly. Like when you drain the bathtub of water, you don't have just water in this one area go down. It all goes down very evenly. So your goal is to drain the bathtub. And so we were consistently reminded because it was very easy to start focusing on maybe one rock that you're trying to get out of the way and to just dig down, 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 down around that one thing And then the archaeologist would have to say, um, you know, don't forget, drain the bathtub. Our goal is to go down evenly. So you're just scraping, scraping, scraping evenly. Because when you go down, down hard, you're also much more likely to, you know, damage something if you were to... um, if you were to hit something as you're going down like that. Okay. So draining the bathtub, everything just goes down evenly. And I thought, you know, that reminds me, cause I'd just written decluttering at the speed of life. That makes me think about decluttering at the speed of life and that tendency that's natural to want to dig out one little bitty area. When in reality, it's really important that I actually start with the places that we actually live in and that we actually see. So it reminded me of my own experience with learning how much more valuable and effective it is for me to start with the, you know, knowing where to start and where to go. Meaning I start with my living areas first. Sometimes it feels like, Oh really? Is that what I should really do? Shouldn't I go back to that back closet and get that big old storage space decluttered first? But when I Am methodical about it and say, okay, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to stand at my front door and see what people see. And I'm going to start with the most visible area. First deal with visible clutter. First, that helps my house just start going that I'm draining the bathtub. Okay. I am getting it down to where it's like, okay, here's, I'm not sure if you guys get this whole Ooh, this might be a lot of me figuring this out as I talk anyway. Um, but that reminds me of the visibility rule. It also reminds me of the whole concept of decluttering at the speed of life and how my goal is to declutter the top layer again and again and again, so that it gets a little bit lower, a little bit deeper. Every time I do that, every five minute pickup, if I do those consistently, The first time I do it after having not done it in a while, I'm just getting that top layer off. Okay. But as I do five minute pickups every single day, I find myself doing a little bit of decluttering here and there as I go because, okay, well, I've gotten that top layer off, which wasn't very much because it was just between yesterday and today. So I go just a little bit deeper and move a couple of other things, find some other things that go, oh yeah, this is actually clutter. I don't need it. I'm going to go stick it in my donate spot. So that even going down is, is the goal. Okay. Next, um, kind of along those things. It is so easy to obsess over one item. So finding a rock and just obsessing on getting that out. So what would be a rock in your house? And when I'm saying rock, I mean like these things, you know, my sons had the opportunity to use a sledgehammer, which is really fun for teenage boys. Um, because the rocks were so big, they could not be carried away from the site on their own. So they had to be broken up into smaller rocks. So we're talking like, you know, something that is, is huge. So we're looking there and the tendency is to be like, I'm going to dig this one thing out and to start obsessing over that. We're in reality, what I need to be doing is working steadily around it. And then that item becomes very easy to remove once I have gone ahead and worked steadily around that item. This is to me like the easy stuff first. Okay. For some reason, when people like me or honestly, a lot of people feel the inspiration to declutter. At the end of when I speak, I always say, okay, I'm going to answer this question because I used to get it all the time. And I want to answer it before you even ask it, which is people would ask me, what do I do about this one category of items that makes me crazy? That wakes me up in the middle of the night thinking, what should I do with my craft room? What should I do with my teaching supplies? What should I do with my kids' clothes? You know, those kinds of things. The, the thing, you know, kids' clothes when I don't know if I'm going to have another baby, those things that wake you up in the middle of the night, that's like that big rock, okay? That's easy to obsess over it. Where in reality, if I will just do the easy stuff first, which is keep on scraping, keep on draining, draining the bathtub around that rock, then by the time I have worked and worked and worked on the easy stuff, that rock becomes easy to move to. Okay. It's no longer just stuck in the ground where I can't even possibly move it. Instead, it's easy to, you know, shift that rock. You just kind of move it over. I mean, it's still going to be a big thing. It's still going to be not simple like everything else, but focusing on the easy stuff first means that I can move that where when I obsess over that rock, it's going to end up taking me 10 times as long. And it's not going to be as effective. I'm um, honestly, I may never be able to get it out because I have to move that easy stuff anyway, to get to it. I hope this is making any sense. Okay, here we go. (laughs) Um, oh, this one I thought was really interesting. So my daughter and I were working on a wall and, um, we, what was interesting about our wall, and I'll just be honest I now feel like I will have more appreciation for museums that have pieces of broken pottery because, um, I used to be like, why am I looking at this? When I would go into a museum and they're all excited about a piece of broken pottery. I feel like I'll understand it more now. Anyway, we were working on this wall and what was interesting about this wall to them was that there was plaster on it. And so whatever that meant, I have no idea, but they were excited because there was plaster. And so what you do is as you scrape and you're just scraping the dirt, you put it into your dustpan and then you find any pieces of pottery that are in it, any bones. So you have a pottery bucket, you have a bone bag. And, um, we also had a plaster bucket because we had plaster on this wall. So we're filling up the plaster thing, you know, and we're trying to keep it on there as much as we can, but this is for any loose pieces that fall off because it's, you know, 4,000 years old. Anyway, um, we had this plaster bucket. And so I had asked the archeologist, well, we filled up our plaster bucket bucket. So we need another one. And she says, yeah, we've got enough plaster. And I was like, Oh, you, you don't want to keep every last piece of plaster. And she was like, no, we have, we have all we need. And that was one of those moments where I went, you know, I don't have to keep every last item that's significant. Plaster was significant, but they kept some pieces and that's all they needed to find out what they needed to know. They didn't need to have every single piece of plaster. Kind of like my thing that I have learned, which is it's okay to keep one or two. So my kids' clothes, when I realized that I wasn't going to have any more boys, you know, I was pregnant with my daughter, found out she was a girl, which we did not find out with the boys, but I was like, I think this is going to be it. I really want to know. So I found out if she was a girl or that she wanted to get rid of my boy clothes. And the temptation is to keep them all because they all on their own do bring memories back. But the truth was I didn't need every single item that they had ever worn to remember what they were like as babies. I can remember how little bitty their feet were by one pair of socks. I can remember how cute and cuddly they were from one little romper outfit. I actually don't need to keep all of them because if I kept all of them, the reason they didn't want any more plaster is they had what they needed. And once they had what they needed, the, any extra plaster that we kept on keeping was just something for them to have to deal with. You know, they, they didn't need it. And so then it's like, okay, no, let's just send it off with the dirt because we don't need it anymore. We've got all the plaster that we need. And so that, that was surprising. Like here, here's my thing. And this is what people will say a lot when we're talking, when I'm talking to them about archaeological, archaeological dig is they're like, don't they keep everything? And I'm like, no, they don't keep everything. They sort out what's actually good. And the vast majority of what you dig up is completely worthless. The vast majority of what you're moving is is actual dirt. And nobody cares about the actual dirt. They take a little sample of the different, you know, levels of dirt. But that's all they need. They just need the little sample of that. The vast majority of what you actually move in the archaeological dig is dirt. And it gets tossed down the side of the mountain. The dirt after it's been sifted, after it's been wet, you know, all those things are like actually just after it's been sifted, because then what was sifted then gets wet sifted, like water run over it to see if there's anything in there. But whatever gets sifted out, that dirt is worthless. It's not worth keeping. And so that was me remembering and reminding me how I don't have to keep everything. I can keep the special things that actually mean something. And I can keep just enough to actually remind me what it is that I want to remember. So a baby outfit, a pair of cowboy boots, but I don't need every single shoe my child ever wore. Make sense? Okay, so that's my analogy for the plaster that there comes a point where you have enough of whatever it is. Um and again there, um 99 point nine percent again, this is me just making up numbers but this is what it felt like. And what I think 99.9% of what you pull out is dirt and rocks and nobody cares about dirt and rocks. They're not valuable. Okay. Dirt and rocks. Okay. They're looking for the stuff that actually matters. That's going to tell them something. Um, and of those dirt and rocks, a lot of it's tumble, this word tumble. And what that is, is you're digging out different levels of the archaeology dig, whatever. You're digging down and you're digging down, you're draining the bathtubs, you're going down very evenly. Okay. And then whatever signs that the archaeologist sees that tells you we're moving into a new time period. Okay. Or older time period, I guess. Um, you're always like you're, they're identifying what's tumble. What has fallen into this period that we care about from some other, you know, like rocks that have just kind of fallen into that area? They're never meant to be there. They're not, it, it's not helpful. What has just tumbled into this area? And I think, oh my goodness, I have my house the way that I want it. And then regular old life just keeps bringing in all these random things. Those are tumble those are not worth me sitting and analyzing and thinking, no, those are just things that have kind of fallen into my other stuff and created this huge amount of clutter, basically. (laughs) Um, so acknowledging and realizing, especially when you go in and you, I mean, you know, we would, my daughter and I, my husband, we were all in the same square together. My boys were in a different one, but um, you know, we're, we're doing things. And at the very beginning, you're like, Oh, what's this? And they're like, that's a rock. What? are you sure? Are you sure it's not pottery? No, here, look, do this. And you can tell if it's pottery or not. Oh, it's a rock. So we'd get all excited about all these different things that we would come. Oh, what's this? Yeah, that's, that's a rock. It's a rock. 99.9% of what we came across was dirt and rocks. And dirt and rocks aren't worth keeping. They're not going to tell us anything that they want to know about this time period. And so knowing that all of my stuff as a whole is not actually valuable. It's those certain items within the stuff that actually tell a story. And that is, um, that takes me to, um, diagnostic pieces. Okay. So even like with pottery, you think, oh my goodness, I found pottery from, you know, shards of pottery from 4,000 years ago. Well, there comes a point where they have enough pottery and the pottery that they really, now we did keep it, but there, if a pottery, if a piece of pottery was broken into too small of a piece for them to even, I think they cut it through. This is what I don't know what happens later. Uh, But they like cut through it and they analyze it and all that kind of stuff. But if a piece of pottery that's broken is too small, then it's worthless. There's nothing they can do with it. But the ones that they get excited about are the pieces that have a hand, like you can see the curve of the, um, the neck of the jar, or you a handle, or, um, you know, the base of a piece of pottery, those are the pieces and they call those diagnostic pieces. Meaning the item on its own has a story to tell. It doesn't depend on the person who actually had that pot saying, Oh, I know that's just a bunch of broken little bitty pieces, but let me tell you what it used to be. We can't tell what it used to be just a little bitty broken piece. But if the piece itself is diagnostic, meaning it tells a story on its own, then it's much more valuable. Does that make sense? So what does that apply to in my house? Well, a lot of times I'm quick to want to tell the story of my clutter. Instead, it lets me look and go, "Okay, what tells a story on its own? It's not going to depend on me to actually tell its story." So when you're looking at an item thinking, "Oh, should I keep this for posterity's sake?" Um, does it tell a story on its own or do you have to be around to tell that story? something to think about. Okay. Um, it does get easier. Okay. That's something that is so true in decluttering momentum. Uh, like I said, we, in the beginning, every little thing that we came across, we thought, Oh, I this is valuable. And they would say, no, it's not, you know, that, you thought it was something else, but it's actually just another rock. Um we we got better at it. You know, we as we went through, we're like, oh no, that's a rock. I can oh (laughs) look, there's a rock. You can see that ridge. That means it's a rock. It's not a piece of pottery, whatever. It got easier as you kept on going. Okay. As we learned what we were doing, we were able to make faster progress. Um, that's the same thing with decluttering. Decluttering momentum is a very real thing. In the beginning, when you first get started, it's really hard pulling out items one at a time. And because, you know, when I just had this mentality that every single thing in my house was valuable, every single thing was going to be really hard to get rid of everything I pulled out, I would think, Oh, what about this? And then as I kept decluttering and kept decluttering, I could identify trash so much quicker. Okay, I could identify rocks so much faster. As we were on the third, the fourth day of being working at this archaeological dig, um, those it really does get easier the longer that you do it. Another thing, um, a rock may not be as big as it looks in the beginning. Okay, um, you know a room that you look at and it's just like, maybe it's your room where you've shoved everything for 10 years. And you're thinking, I can't even use this room. This room is a storage room. Oh my goodness. It's too overwhelming. I just can't possibly do it, but I know I've got to declutter in there. When we would find one of those, I'm guessing hundred pound rocks or something that we would come across, we would often think, Oh, this is a huge, huge rock. But instead, our goal was to drain the bathtub and just scrape along the top, scrape, keep going, go along the sides. And as we did that, we would often find that the rock wasn't as big as we thought it was. Because a lot of it was just dirt that had formed around the rock and started to look like it was part of the rock. That room that you're overwhelmed by saying, okay, I can't, this whole room as a whole is huge. It's daunting. It's overwhelming. Instead, I am going to just start scraping away. I'm just going to see what in here is trash. Okay. Oh, wait, there's trash. Okay. I'm scraping away. What in here is easy that I should have put away in its real home. And I don't know why I stuck it in this room instead. Okay. As you do that, and you're scraping away a little bit, you go, this rock this room, it's not quite as big and overwhelming as I thought it was. A lot of the things that I thought were part of the room are actually just things that have randomly ended up in there. And as I move them away, then the rock itself shows itself to not be as big as I thought it was going to be. Um, Oh, here's a good one. Random things in random places are meaningless. Oh, if you're still with me, Okay. So old stuff is cool, but sometimes just walking around, we were at Shiloh and, um, sometimes just, you know, so it's a a national park, I think, or something national historical site, something like that. Um, but you know, sometimes walking around, you'd find something like people would find a coin on the ground like a coin from Roman, whatever time or something. And they would take it to the archeologist, like the headwind and be like, look what I found. And he's like, Oh, that's so great. But it doesn't mean anything because they didn't uncover it as part of a methodical process. And so they couldn't identify it was this far down. Like when my, we found a ring, um, or the metal detector lady found a ring, um, in our square And when they found that ring, and when they found my daughter's intact pot that she came across, which is not her pot, they have it, obviously. Anyway, um, but when we found those, you know, important things, everything stops, they get out the measuring tape, they are measuring exactly where it was found, what was around it, blah, 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 all these things that give them information about this item, But if you find that exact same item, just laying on the ground somewhere, it doesn't mean anything to an archaeologist. Okay, it's it's not because they can't record and know all of the um, the uh, details that tell them and give them information about that, which makes me think about my whole idea of I can't say an item is treasured. If I've left it somewhere. And now it's on the bottom of a pile of things, you know, like I wrote a post a long time ago, and I think I even talked about it on the podcast, but my husband got a hat when we were in Mexico and he loved that. He was so excited about it, but somehow I'm sure it was set aside gently at some point, somehow it ended up on the bottom of a pile and crushed. And so going through that, pile and coming across that hat that was now completely worthless made me realize, oh, we supposedly were excited about this item, but we didn't treat it in a way that actually treasured it. And so it's not treasured. So random items, like you may say, oh, I really love this. I don't know, this candle holder that was created, especially for me. But if that candle holder is not in a specific place where it can be identified as something important, then, and instead it's at the bottom of a pile or shoved in the back of a closet, it's meaningless there. It only has meaning if it's in a specific designated place that gives it the value that shows and attributes to it the value that it has. Does that make any sense? Yeah. That one was meaningful to me. Um, and then, um, trust the process. This is something that I I think is partly from going into an archeological dig and assuming that every single thing I pick up with my fingers is going to be important and realize, you know, realizing that there are people who know more than I do. I am going to do what the archaeologists are telling me to do. And as I do it, then I start to understand. Oh, okay, now I understand why we don't, um, you know, look at every single rock under a microscope. Um, to find, you know, I'm like, now I get it. In the beginning, it was hard for me to you really really this right here, this rock looks pretty cool. Are you for sure that we don't need to save this for later? I mean, I was really surprised when I found out that when something's determined as a rock, yeah, it's gone. It goes down the side of the mountain. I mean, really it's, it's just a, when it's a, if it's a rock, it doesn't matter. You know, they keep their couple of samples and that's all they need and that's it. Um, but trusting the process and knowing that we're going to keep on moving down through the dirt helps me to learn as I go to go ahead and do what I know works because the expert has told me it works. And then as I go, I start to understand but not understanding first and then going, but instead just going ahead and following the directions. And then over time, I start to understand and I start to go, okay, if I was to come back year after year after year, like so many of these archaeologists have done, if I was to come back, then... I would understand a little more every single time that I came. And now I can see why then they have put their whole lives into this passion of archaeology. And they really do understand what every little thing means and what things don't mean. But I, as the grunt worker, have to trust the process that they have um, put into place. And that just reminds me how I have learned so much from actually decluttering. It, that's where I really learned how to declutter. And that's my encouragement to you. Go ahead and just declutter. Stop feeling like you have to understand everything before you actually declutter, which honestly is the reason I love that I have an audiobook of decluttering at the speed of life, because you can go ahead while you're listening and start decluttering. Okay. Trust the process. Trust that you are going to get better at this. Trust that there really is a reason to start with the visible areas first. Trust that it really is going to make a huge impact for you to do your dishes every day. I hear from people all the time who tell me, I didn't think it would really make that big of an impact, but because I was that desperate, I just went ahead and tried and I can't believe the impact. Now I understand, but the understanding does not necessarily come before the doing. That's me. I want to know exactly how everything's going to work before I do it. But in reality, I understand so much better if I just go ahead and do it. Okay. And follow the process, even though I don't quite get all the whys first, go ahead and follow the process and then you will start understanding. Okay. Okay. Thanks y'all for joining me. Um, today, I hope this, had any kind of, um, thought process help for you from mine. I don't know. Maybe I was just talking about my vacation because I like telling personal stories and I'm never going to stop. <laughs> okay. So, um, for those of you who are in any of the areas where I'm going to be speaking, I sure hope that you will come. Um, I specifically want to talk about the becoming conference. It's April, I believe it's April 21st and 22nd. All of this is on my com slash speaking. And if you will go there, um you can see all the places I'm going. I'm going to San Diego, Atlanta, um, North Carolina, just outside of Asheville, I believe it is, um, Minneapolis, Oklahoma City, which is actually Norman and Moore instead of actually Oklahoma City. Um those are the ones. So I would love to see you at that. The Becoming Conference is something that is totally worth a girl's trip. I mean, I think you're going to love it. The place where it is, it's at a conference center, retreat center, whatever. It's on a lake. It's, there's mountains around. It's absolutely stunningly beautiful in the pictures that I've seen. Like I am with all the craziness going on. I am looking forward to going and just going, <sighs> Anyway, so that would be well worth making a girl's trip of that. The pinners conferences, which is where I'll, what I'll be doing in San Diego, Atlanta, and Minneapolis are also a very different kind of girls weekend. But if you've ever been to a home and garden show, if you like that kind of stuff, that's what these pinners conferences are. They're not, sometimes I think people think that they're for bloggers. They're not. Um, it's the reason they call it pinners is is that it's very, um, it has that feel and flavor of the things that you would find on Pinterest, you know, very crafty. So there's classes that you can take all day long and there's a huge, um, you know, it's, they're in convention centers. So they're like huge shopping areas and booths and things with all kinds of clothes and crafty and home and all that kind of stuff to look at. Um, Not that you need to bring a bunch of stuff home, but be very purposeful. And then one out, one in, one out once you get home. Um, But there's also these classes that are, a lot of times you can make the actual craft or you learn about photography or you learn about, um, you know, just different types, you know, sewing and makeup and all this kind of stuff. And then I'm teaching decluttering classes at each of those, both on Friday and on Saturday. So um, anyway, I hope to meet you guys at one of my speaking events that are coming up. the book tour. So thanks for joining me and I will talk to you guys next week. Bye.